The scripture reading this morning will be Psalm 85, 1 through 7, and that can be found on page 526 on the Pew Bibles. Psalm 85. Lord, you have been favorable in your land. You have brought back the captivity of, captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God, of, your, of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Good morning. It is good to see each of you this morning. If you're a guest, we are thankful that you're here. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. I'm glad to be here this morning. It's good to be back. Uh, it's good to be various places, but it's always good to be back home at Mount Juliet. I want to encourage you to remember that this Tuesday night, October the 16th at 6.45 is the Latin America dinner that Phil Wagner will be hosting. And it is a wonderful opportunity for us to support a work that's uh, been in existence for 40 to 50 years through the Valdosta congregation of working in Central America uh, to plant churches, as well, of course, to convert individuals to Jesus Christ. And of course, Phil has been involved with this work for a couple of years. And so really it's our opportunity to help in two ways. I would encourage you, if, if you wanna be a part of this work, you can come to this dinner, you can learn more about the work, but as you give, be thinking about supporting not only Latin America missions, but also think about what you could give to help Phil, uh, because this is the time of year when he also raises his support for the year. And so we can help him as an individual missionary, and we also can help this work. And I just want to encourage you to be prayerful about that. I want to encourage you to be generous about that. Uh, Phil is near and dear to our hearts. He's been a part of our lives at least for 11 years. And for some of you, perhaps even more than that. And uh, we love and appreciate the work that he does. And this is just a wonderful time and opportunity for us to be supportive of that. I remember several years ago being in the middle of the night in an emergency surgical waiting room in a large hospital in Birmingham. I was sitting with a woman that her husband was the one in emergency surgery. They'd been married over 60 years. They had a sweet relationship with each other. And as we sat there, the only ones, the hospital was so quiet in the middle of the night. It was a heavy time. He'd already been very sick. And to be called in for mercy surgery was far from any kind of good news. And we looked up and the surgeon was standing in front of us. It wasn't that we'd received a call, hey, we're closing and he'll be in recovery and the surgeon will be out in a few minutes. It was that interrupted time where the surgeon came out and with a very serious and almost distraught look on his face, he began to explain how I sewed, but he was just too deteriorated. And I would sew it and it would tear. And I would sew it again and it would tear. And I would sew it again and it would tear. And he probably went through this four or five times. And finally, he stopped looking at his hands and he looked down to this sweet little lady and he said, I'm so sorry. I couldn't save him, but I tried. 
It's at those moments what we want to hear is we want to hear revive. I was able to revive him. When we think about the definition of revival, the very first word, the very first lines in a surgical or in a secular dictionary is restoration to life, consciousness, vigor, strength, etc. That's what we wanted to hear that night. We wanted to hear the doctor say, hey, I tell you what, he's alive and, and he's conscious. And you know, it, it won't be but a few days or a few weeks and, and he'll probably be strong and, and he'll probably be back home again. We long for revival because with life, of course, we place hope. And with hope, we place expectations that things are well. But also, as we go to a secular dictionary, we see that the fifth line of defining what revival is, we see that it is an awakening. It's an awakening within a church or a community or speaking in personal life, revival is oftentimes used whenever religion is awakened within the life of an individual. Revival is beautiful. As beautiful as it is physically, it's far more beautiful spiritually. To see one who is spiritually dead be revived, to have life again, to be spiritually awakened, to be conscious, to be strong and vigorous in the work of the Lord because that offers us eternal hope. Perhaps all of us have seen churches that were not revived. They were dead. And even though it's not easy to explain exactly what that church looks like, there's just something about it that is immediately known. You can feel the presence of life and you can feel the presence of death. You can tell when a church has no excitement about mission work and reaching the lost. You can tell when they've lost their focus and there is no mindset of let's have a victory over the world and a victory through Jesus Christ. You can tell when people are looking for the minimum. Now, how little can I give and still please God? How, how little could I study his word? How little can I gather with the assembly? You can tell when people know more about their physical life than they do their spiritual life. When they can maneuver around a local grocery store and find anything, but they can't move around the word of God, the bread of life, and find anything. You can tell when people are more excited about Friday night than about Saturday morning and more excited about a vacation than a campaign. There's just all kinds of things that you look at that just scream, we're dead. We're dead. And yet on the other hand, there's something powerful when it's obvious that a congregation is revived, that a people is alive, and that an individual is growing and maturing spiritually. You know something interesting about the word revived in the Old Testament or revival? Did you know that even though it's found in the English only a few times in the Old Testament, did you know that from the Hebrew, that word is in the Bible 235 times? But do you see almost every one of those 235 times, it's translated live. Like the first time it's in the Bible, I believe is in Genesis, the fifth chapter and verse three. And it says that, that Adam lived 130 years. And so you say, well, why do we have the word revive and translated at some places and the word live at other places? And, and the point is, is pretty simple. In the context, 
If it is showing someone who is close to death or dead, and yet they were alive, they have been revived. And so in our English, it makes much more sense to us to translate life in that context as revival. But the only reason I bring that out to you is to see this. When we talk about revival, we're not talking about something mystical. We're not talking about something magical that's, that's got to happen in just one, one instant or, or one little period of time. What we ought to long for spiritually is we ought to long for revival life into everything that we are. What if we long for every day of our life to be a revival? In other words, where we can say to the Lord, I'm alive because of you and through you and for you. I'm alive. I want revival in my life. The text that's just been read is beautiful. You recognize Psalms 85 as a passage of praise, probably even perhaps a passage somewhat of prayer. And we don't know exactly when the psalmist wrote this passage, but because of the content of it and how strong the content is, almost any scholar agrees that it must have been written sometime after the, the small group of exile for, for 70 years in, in the captivity. You remember when finally they were able to return. That must have been the time period that this was written at some time during the return. But it seems to be written at a time where there was restoration and revival, but there also must have been a waning and there must have been a little bit of a losing of a focus. And so the psalmist writes this to plead with God to not give up on them and to continue that work of restoration and that work of revival. I think about a New Testament parallel. Do you remember the seven churches of Asia in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation? Did you notice that each of those congregations had had rich history and a heritage, but something was waning? At least five of them, it was sin, and two of them, it was probably outward circumstances. But really the whole purpose that that was written was, was John was revealing a message from God as if to say, don't die, hang in there. Turn it around. Let God revive you. Let God give you that focus again. Let God give you that restoration again. Let God return to you that joy that you can have in God. With that in mind, I'd like for you to look here at Psalm 85, 1, 2, and 3 again. It's already been capably read. But did you notice there in the first line, think about this prayer, this praise that the psalmist is writing. And he says, you have been favorable to your land. And notice the next uh, sentence or the next phrase there, the next line, he talks about bringing back the captives. But see, the only reason that they were allowed to do this, he wasn't gloating. It's, it, it's a great sign of humility. He wasn't gloating in himself to say, look, we were the ones that were able to march all the way back to Jerusalem. We were the ones that started building. We were the ones that started doing great things. Instead, all of the praises to God, they recognized it was God that allowed them to come back to their land. It was God that allowed them to be free from captivity. And it was God who forgave. And then notice he points out two things about forgiveness. The first one is that you covered our sins. And then the next one is your wrath has been taken away. But between those, he says, Selah. 
It's the idea of the one that would have been singing this song or the one that would have been reading this piece of poetry that was meant to be praised to God or even if as a church they were chanting this together, which would have been a custom of their day. It was if in the middle of this concentration of forgiveness, he says, let's pause and let's have a moment of devout reverence to think about God's forgiveness. Your sins have been covered. Think about that. Praise God for that. Let it be very serious. Yeah, that.